Bay FM 100.3. This is Searchlight Conversations with Dean and Ken. Well, good evening and welcome to Searchlight Conversations. Good evening, Dean. How are you? I'm very, very well. Indeed. You've been a very busy month. I know that you have. I know that I have. It's been crazy. It's been crazy, crazy, crazy. Mm-hmm. It's been a month that uh, we've had uh, opportunity to see what's happening out there in the big wide world as far as the COVID situation goes. And hasn't a lot changed in the last month? It certainly has. And that is our subject tonight. Tonight we're talking about the what we're calling the COVID conundrum. The COVID conundrum. The COVID conundrum, yes. I kind of like it. It's got a nice little ring to it. Yeah. Well, we've got four very, very good guests on tonight as well. We have indeed. We have indeed. We've got uh, four guests we'll introduce in just a moment. Mm-hmm. But I think if we look at tonight's program um, from a broader point of view, there's a lot of information that's been released over the last 12 months, 18 months or so since the, since the, uh, the COVID hit. And we've gone past all the bad stuff. In other words, we've had the lockdown, all that sort of stuff, and we've done very, very well as a nation when it comes to that. But now we're getting into the vaccination stage. But here we're finding roadblocks. Australia's success has been really great in the initial lockdown stage, but the rollout of the the vaccine was very well supported at first by the general population. And now they're all starting to think, oh, should I or shouldn't I? Because Mm -hmm. things like the the clotting is getting more airplay and so on and so on. And there's also information out there that says, okay, and I want to know how true this is, if I get the vaccine, will it stop me getting COVID-19? One. Two, will it stop me have the ability to spread the virus um, or is it just going to mean that I don't get as sick even though I can still get COVID-19 after I have the vaccine? I don't know the answers to those but our guest tonight will cover those. And yeah, I think we'll get a few different uh, different viewpoints tonight. I think so too, yeah. And you know, the other question that a lot of people are asking as well is, will we need more shots in the future? So boosters or different variants or, or that kind mm-hmm. of thing, like we do with the flu shot. So these are quite valid questions, and I haven't been able to find personally anywhere that really sort of says this is the definite information on this. So we're going to look at all those things tonight. We've got four guests lined up. And our first guest is Dr. Kirsty Short, and she's a virologist at the University of Queensland who's specialising in the SARS-CoV-2 and influenza virus. Um, I like the fact that she's from the University of Queensland, keeping it nice and local, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, as the, the COVID situation ran out, the University of Queensland was one of the very first uh, places on the planet that started working on the vaccine. Yep, a lot of break, uh, breakthroughs and I think a lot of future breakthroughs. Yeah, I think I think they've got something bubbling away and it's purely intuition or call it a, an, an inkling that they've got something bubbling away that might come out in the future that's going to be really worthwhile. So, uh, first of all, Kirsty Short, Dr Kirsty Short. And then we'll have a chat to Simone Sleep. Now, Simone is a Doctor of Philosophy and a graduate of the Griffith University and she's going to point a different perspective on the whole vaccination and COVID thing from a mm-hmm. different angle. Science involved, but from a different angle. Yeah, I think a bit of a questioning personality, which is something that you do need. You need yeah. to give two sides of the story, as per always. I think that's wise, yeah. Because at the end of the day, we want each of us to have the ability to be well-educated on the subject, get some really good, factual, truthful information on it, mm-hmm. to give individually the ability to make a choice, to make a decision. Yeah. And that's really what it's all about. Uh, a little bit later on, we'll be talking to Dr. Elwin Gabatero, who is a senior consultant scientist with the uh, with a PhD in immunology. And uh, you got a bit more information on him, Dean. He's, yeah, he's, he's going to give us some, yeah, he's going to yeah. give us a bit of a rundown on uh, once the vaccine has been developed, how it's produced and then sold out through the area and so on. Okay, yeah, which is great. You know, the testing and so on with it, which is fantastic. Yep. Now, 
he's he's an interesting character as well. And then finally, we're going to have a chat to Katie Allen. Now, Katie was a former medical researcher, and currently, though, she's a member of the House of Reps uh, for the LNP, representing Higgins in Victoria. Mm-hmm. So she'll take it from a government point of view, if you like. And we'll have a chat to her about what the government is doing with the role and how they're, how they're managing it, where it's going to go to in the future, the success of it and so on. Yeah, I think tonight we're trying to achieve as much information as possible for the, the listeners out there. Yeah. Now, we don't have all the questions, but I'm sure that you do. So we, as always, opening up the SMS line to 0468 0468861003 and text now because we are in the studio live as they come up on the screen we'll be able to look at the questions and then pass them on to the respective guests tonight so mm-hmm. don't hold back because the, the whole idea is to give you the opportunity to get the information that you're seeking so that you can make an informed choice on what you do personally with the COVID vaccination etc so 0468861003 we never close it it's open 20 and you can do that right now. 0468 861 via SMS only. Please don't make a phone call or leave a, a voice message because we can't get it. It's purely SMS 0468 861 Great. So there we are. It's the COVID conundrum, Bay FM 100.3 Searchlight Conversation with Dean and Ken. Our very first guest in just a moment is Dr. Kirsty Short. Bay FM 100.3. This is Searchlight Conversations with Dean and Ken. Searchlight Conversations with Dean and Ken. And our guest tonight is Dr. Kirsty Short, Australian Research Fellow, School of Chemistry and Molecular Biology, Faculty of Science. Dr. Kirsty is a Doctor of Philosophy at the University of Melbourne, Bachelor of Science Honours at the University of Melbourne, Bachelor of Arts, University of Melbourne, and Dr. Short, currently a virologist at the University of Queensland, specialising in SARS CoV 2 and the influenza virus. Good evening, Dr. Kirsty Short. Good evening. Great to have you on, uh, Dr. Short. Now, first question, SARS-CoV-2, is that COVID-19? Yeah, so SARS-CoV-2 is just the virus that causes the disease COVID-19. Right, okay. So why do they call it COVID-19? Yeah, there was actually, um, as much as you can believe it, there was a lot of controversy in the virology community about how this disease was named. Um, And there was in the early days of the pandemic, there were sort of different names being used, but it was decided to call it COVID-19, meaning an abbreviation for coronavirus-induced disease in 2019, because that was when right, the virus Right, okay, so the year, ah, the year. Okay. Right, right, right. Well, that's good. I, I never knew that. I was now always, it makes sense, a, yeah. I kept thinking maybe there yeah. might, have been a, might have been an 18, 17, a 16, and a no 15. Yeah, no. yeah. There right. was no 18 or 17. <laughs> very Fortunately, yes. Fortunately, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. So is it similar to uh, the flu? Um, not really. Right. I mean, there's similarities in so far as they're both respiratory viruses right. um, and they can both be spread by the air or by droplet transmission, all those sorts of things. But SARS-CoV-2 is more transmissible and it's also more severe. So right. the mortality rate of SARS-CoV-2 is higher than that of influenza. Right, so it okay. means we have to take it more seriously than we would, say, a seasonal influenza outbreak. So, so when this started, this 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 terrible pandemic, they what 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 happens? Does the government contact all you professors, your your yeah. doctors, researchers, and say, "Listen, we need to find a cure for this"? Or how does it start? I mean, where does it start where someone says, "Mate, we've got to get a vaccination together"? 
Yeah, so it starts basically um, individuals in the infectious disease community. Um, you can actually monitor the outbreak of infectious disease. So um, long before it was in the media, we were seeing reports out of China that there was some unknown cases of pneumonia. And then basically each research group makes its decision about whether or not they have the capacity to contribute to this research effort. Um, unfortunately, not all individuals can because this is a virus that we have to work with in our high containment facility. So you need to have those facilities and you need to have training in those facilities. Right. Um, and then I can tell you personally from, from our group's perspective, we sort of came together as a group and said, do we think that we can contribute something um, you know, to the global efforts against this virus? And we decided yes. So we Good swapped a lot of our research. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a straightforward swap for us because we're used to working with emerging respiratory viruses and, you know, in the context of influenza. So for us, it was relatively easy to swap over. Um, and then we decided, well, what can we do within our expertise to contribute to this? And we decided that our group's contribution would not be in the context of a vaccine, but looking at more in context of treatment and also understanding the spread of the disease to inform public health policy. Right, okay. So, so at the beginning then, what was the start? I mean, how did you get going for this? I mean, the, you, the intentions are there. Do, yep. you, do you contact um, the government? Do you contact overseas facilities and ask for the information? Yeah, so the start for us was really contacting Queensland Health um, yeah. and working with Queensland Health because they're the ones who provided us kindly with the viral isolates that we use in the lab. Right. So it was contacting... So for Queensland one thing, hang on for one second, the, the, the viral... Isolates. So okay. just the, the virus. The virus, the virus itself, okay. And that would have come from overseas? Yeah, they um, it was isolated. That we used different virus. Um, we right. didn't use different strains of SARS-CoV-2 in the lab, but um, it comes from either individuals in Queensland who were infected or right. individuals who've come into Queensland who've been infected. Right, okay, great. And then we also reached out to international colleagues and started up a large number of international collaborations looking at where we could help because obviously every country was in a, a different scenario and yeah. some countries in particular at the time it was Italy were being slammed by really severe cases and their capacity for research was limited whereas the situation in Australia was much better and we were in a better position to do research. Was there a lot of confusion at the beginning? I mean as, I as far as like necessarily... different ideas, different theories, different methods? Yeah, I don't think it was necessarily a lot of confusion. It was a lot of questions we didn't have the answer for. Right. So I do a lot of um, contact with the media and I found it very hard. You know, people in the general public were asking, well, what about this? What about this? And, and the answer often was, we don't know. So I think as researchers, we felt that there was a great urgency to answer a lot of these questions because we could see very clearly that we needed to understand these questions to inform things like, how to advise the public to protect themselves, how to implement proper hotel quarantine, um, you know, how to, how to predict what was going to happen in six months from now. So there was a lot of unanswered questions. So there really was a great push to answer these with scientific research. So, Dr. Short, if I said to you, um, we have this infectious disease, this COVID-19, uh, what is stage one? What's stage one? Um, what do we start? What do, you, what do the researchers start off with as far as stage one is concerned? Yeah, so the sort of stage one would be answering key questions in terms of is this going to turn into a pandemic? Because when this started, it was um, a localised outbreak in China and we needed to know was, 
was the world at risk of this? Or is this something that was more like the original SARS, which happened in the early 2000s, right. where there was an outbreak, but it got under control and it didn't cause a global pandemic? Right. And there was also another one too, wasn't there, that happened in, in Saudi Arabia, was it? There was SARS so and there was another one. Yeah, so that's MERS. Yeah, um, MERS, that's the MERS, Eastern, that's right, yes. Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. Yeah. Um, and that's a related virus that has happened. Um, sort of there's been outbreaks on and off since, uh, about 2012. Right, okay. But again, that hasn't resulted in a pandemic. So right. it was really to know, is this SARS-CoV-2 virus like those other coronaviruses we've seen in the population where they'll sort of fizzle out a little bit, or is it going to be a global problem? Right, okay. So with, with the research that you do, and obviously research takes time, it's got to be done methodically, it's got to be done accurately, and there's certain protocols that go along with that. Um, in the yeah. rollout of looking for a vaccine, um, what would be a normal for normal period of time to get a vaccine uh, into into uh, testing, and how long would the testing take before it's actually put into uh, proper use? Yeah, I think this is a key question because I think a lot of people have noticed that the vaccine rollout for SARS-CoV-2 has just been incredibly fast. We've got to move on from discovery of the virus. Uh, to a vaccine in essentially one year. And normally vaccines take a lot longer to develop. So um, until now, the fastest vaccine developed has been that for measles, which was about a five year. But what people need to remember is that even though the vaccine development for SARS-CoV-2 was accelerated, it wasn't the safety testing or the efficacy testing that was accelerated. What happened was it was really the production that was accelerated. So companies, normally, they do not start producing the vaccine until all the clinical trials have been done. It's been approved by either the FDA in America or the TGA in Australia, and then they start the manufacturing. But what happened here is that there was such a need for the vaccine that companies took a really big financial risk, and they started manufacturing vaccines that were in the early phase of development. So there was a very high likelihood that these vaccines would fail at one stage or another, and they would be left with stocks and stocks of useless vaccines. And that's a big financial risk, but they took on that risk knowing that they couldn't afford a delay at the other end. So yes, this process was accelerated, but the parts of the process that were accelerated for SARS-CoV-2 or the COVID-19 vaccine had nothing to do with the safety or the efficacy. Those parts of the trial just continued as normal. Right, okay. That's exciting. Yeah, it's it's good to know these things because these things really haven't been discussed in any kind of detail. And part of the uh, reticence for people to actually get a a vaccination is that that they think that it's been rolled out too fast. That explanation certainly puts a little different uh, light on that. (laughs) But I think it's also an attitude, Ken. Yeah, well, it is. Absolutely. People have this attitude where they say themselves, well, you know, why haven't you got a vaccine for it now? We need it. Yeah. yeah. And the other one is, hang on, that happened too (laughs) Too fast. fast. It can't be any good. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You can't have a head in two camps. Yeah. I think also we've got to remember that, you know, there was such a need for this that there was an unprecedented amount of money poured into Mm. vaccine trials. Often when we talk about developing a vaccine, it could be for a vaccine that only affects a small amount of the global population and there may not be financial incentives to develop the vaccine. Whereas here, there was a clear humanitarian need, but also from a a business perspective, if you developed a SARS-CoV-2 vaccine, you knew it was going to sell. So it was a very, very different circumstance. 
to what we've seen previously. Yeah, a bit of a gamble that that paid off. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, and and it was the University of Queensland that came out um, early in the piece with some kind of uh, vaccine, a, pro- a possible vaccination, but unfortunately, it, it gave the the false positives with HIV and kind of put a, a short stop on that. And I believe that something new is coming from the University of Queensland now. Look, there's a lot of different um, vaccine developments that's happening at universities throughout Australia. And what we know with the research that came out of the University of Queensland is that they have a technology that is very adaptable um, and potentially holds great promise. Now, it needed a bit of tweaking, um, and that was something that came out in the clinical trials. And what people should um, take, take heart from, I guess, or be really reassured by was that This was something that was tested, that was found in the clinical trials, and then the vaccine was stopped. So it's not that we're pushing anything through and that we're rushing things through. At the slightest indication of something that could be harmful, and this in particular was not harmful, it was just uh, it interfered with diagnostics, then the appropriate measures are taken. So this was a really good example of very promising research that will be very useful for the future that continued on into clinical trials, and then there was an um, unpredicted problem that was seen, and then it was stopped, and other vaccines were pursued. So this is a really, this is a testament to the rigorous nature of the clinical yeah, trial yeah, process. I agree. It was a very responsible thing to do, and, and, a, and a credible thing to do as well. Um, where does where do you see the University of Queensland uh, travelling in this direction in the future? Have you got something in the pipeline, or is there something that um, could be useful, maybe even as a treatment for COVID rather than a vaccination? Yeah, so the University of Queensland is um, a really strong research institution for infectious disease. And so this involves not only vaccine work, but as you mentioned, therapeutics. And there's lots of research going on. Um, And I can tell you in the last year and a bit, this has just been accelerating at an incredible pace. So I think we should expect a lot of big things to come out of the university in the future. I'm very proud of our University of Queensland. Yeah. I've got to tell you, do some amazing stuff there. Um, that's why I want you to beat your own drum. I'm trying to give you an opportunity to say, yeah, we, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're on the case. Yeah. We're definitely ahead. Well, yeah. I, think, I think the research in Australia throughout the COVID-19 pandemic in general has just been incredible. Yeah. Um, and there's been some really important studies and really important research, even though you know we haven't experienced pandemic to the same levels as other countries, we've still made a very, very substantial contribution. Oh, for sure, for sure. So there's a couple of other questions I'd like to ask you. Explain to me, I, I keep hearing this terminology spread around quite often, especially on, on news telecasts about herd immunity and so on. So, mm-hmm. And I saw that Dr Fauci the other day mentioned that herd immunity can be a very elusive concept as well. So can you give us a bit of a, a rundown on that at all, Dr Short? Yeah, so herd immunity basically just means that there's sufficient immunity in the population such that the disease won't spread. So that immunity can come through natural infection or ideally that immunity comes through vaccination. Right, okay. Now, initially in the COVID-19 pandemic, people were talking about herd immunity and saying, well, what we need to do is just let the virus spread through the population so that there's enough of the population that then develops immunity and then the virus doesn't spread anymore. But that became very problematic because For that to happen, you needed to have a large number of individuals infected. And as we saw in various countries, when you have a large number of individuals infected, you have a large number of deaths. That's right. So that comes at a great cost. And the health system can't cope with it. So how how does that compare to to transmissible variants? 
Yeah. So in contrast, what we can do is get vaccine-induced herd immunity, and that's what right. we're aiming right. for Right, okay, now. that's what we're aiming for. So right. the idea is to distribute vaccines, get everyone immune, but without having to go through that cost. And the benefit of this strategy is that a lot of the vaccines we know now provide protection not only against the original virus, but also these variants that are emerging. So we can see that all the vaccines on the market are incredibly effective against protecting against severe disease. And that's really the disease that you end up in hospital or you end up in the ICU. And that's what we're trying to prevent at the moment. So that's the great benefit of vaccines. Yeah. Do, do you think in the future that we will have to have like to, to fight against this virus if it continues on? Or, or mutates or whatever, do, do you think we'll have to have, like, booster shots down the track? Yeah, look, it's possible that we will need boosters down the track. Yep. What that's really going to depend on is how good our global response is. Right. Because what will happen is if we get this virus under control, there will not be much virus replication globally, right. and then there's not much chance for mutants to arrive. Right, okay. So if we have variants, areas... Yeah. yeah, exactly. If we have areas where there's virus replication out of control and out of control infections, then mutations or the variants will arise because that's just the nature of viral replication. So the risk of not having this under control globally is that we will continue to generate viral variants or mutations. And then it will take years and years to get on top of it. Exactly. If we can get this virus under control now, then we we can basically stop that process as it happens. So it's about recognising that stopping this pandemic is not about just preventing cases in Australia, but it's also about preventing them globally. Well, I'll be honest with you, Dr. Kirsty Short. I don't know why the government hasn't got you on TV. I was just going to say this. You taught me so much in the last exactly. 15 minutes. That has been amazing. Most, that is the clearest explanation of <laughs> yes. COVID-19 we've had, I think. <laughs> and I, I think you should start uh, up a YouTube you. channel and, uh, and uh, give people information. That's absolutely fantastic. Dr. Kirsty Short from the University of Queensland, thank you very much for your time today. We sincerely appreciate it. And very informative, very clear, and very understandable. I mean, that's to me, that, that's, that's great. It's been fantastic. Well, that's, that's what we try to do because at the end of the day, you know, everybody's being asked to deal with information that, you know, not everyone is trained as a virologist and nor should you be. Yeah. So I think it's really important that we get out there, talk to the community so people can make informed choices, especially now when it comes to vaccination. Once again, Ken, education, isn't it, really? It's all about education. This yeah. is the thing. and you know, you Clear, s- concise clear education. And the truth. Yeah, the truth, yeah. And that's what yeah. it's all about, getting the facts so you can actually understand it and then make decisions. Yeah. It's that simple, really, isn't Fantastic. It? Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Short. My pleasure. Bay FM 100.3. This is Searchlight Conversations with Dean and Ken. Live and local across the Bayside and beyond. And tonight it's the COVID conundrum on Searchlight. We've had a very interesting conversation so far, Dean, and it's getting better. The uh, SMS number is going very, very well tonight. 0468861003. To uh, ask your question, have some feedback, whatever it is you want to make a comment on, 0468861003. Our next guest is Simone Sleep, who has a master's degree in biomedical science at Griffith University. She's currently doing a doctorate in medical research. She's been in clinical practice as a naturopath for 24 years and has a unique flair for combining science and nature. And Simone also brings with her a different point of view on the COVID vaccination. Good evening and welcome, Simone. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. It is an absolute delight having you here because uh, tonight it's a, it's, a, it's a subject that everybody's getting 
a little excited over and we just want to sort of clear a little bit of a path and calm things down a little bit and give people a lot of information that is based on science and fact and a little bit more transparency on, on the whole situation. So where do you sit with this whole COVID vaccination thing? That's a good question because um, I guess the great thing about uh, COVID-19, it has a 99% recovery rate. And I think that's a, a fantastic That's a great uh, result. Jo- it is. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and I guess, um, you know, at one point uh, we were told not to wear masks and all of a sudden we have to wear masks. And I guess that left a bit of a confusion to the community. And then um, whether the, the vaccine uh, would actually stop transmission. You know, I think I think we did have a lot of different messages going out at the beginning, yeah. especially when yeah. it came to COVID nineteen. Yeah. You know, like you know, do we do do we shut down the state? Do we not? Do we go to different yeah. areas and so on? So I think the same thing applies as far as the vaccination. I think we I, we have noticed there doesn't seem to be a lot of really clink, uh, con- uh, clear, concise knowledge mm. or advice on the vaccination. Mm. And that's a good point because um, it's it's. People are questioning, like, well, if if it doesn't stop transmission, well, then what is the benefit of receiving well, yeah, yeah, the vaccine? Yeah, this is a question we posed at the beginning of the of the segment this this evening. Is the fact that I've heard, and I'm sure a lot of other people have heard, the fact that okay, you get vaccinated, doesn't stop you from getting COVID nineteen in the future, doesn't stop you from transmitting the disease to others but what it does do is it lessens the severity of the symptoms and lessens the opportunity of going to hospital or having other sort of some sort of severe ramifications from being affected by COVID-19. I'm not sure what the truth is. And the other point is um, how many um, dosages are enough to protect us in the future so what does does that mean? Yeah well so far we've got 1.2 billion doses worldwide so far. Yeah. Uh, that means fully vaccinated, 311 million people worldwide, which is 4% of the population so yep. far has yep. been vaccinated yeah. with these vaccines, differing vaccines that are out there. Yeah, and, 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 and then I was reading an article in the news reports today that the Seychelles has uh, vaccinated 60% of their adult population fully, two shots, and they've got now got another severe COVID-19 breakout and they're locking down again. Mm. I'm confused. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I'm hearing this from that person, that from this person, and so on. So, Simone, tonight, you've come with a ton of documents there. I can see you've literally got a reams and reams of paper there, which means, as a scientist, you've done some homework. Most definitely. I guess um, it's my concern too, and um, it's an informed choice that we need to make based on what studies are coming out, and there are studies coming out every day now. Um, showing us um, the results of what's happening with um, this uh, vaccine that they want to trial. And as uh, Greg Hunt said, it is an experimental trial to a population on a large scale. So I guess I'm very keen to see the results of uh, this trial and um, where it may lead for the future health of our population. Yeah. I've noticed that we have had a few changes so far with different vaccines due to different age groups suffering from blood clots and so on. Most definitely. So we've seen um, the government quickly change of the AstraZeneca um, from where it was meant to be under 50s, but now... 50s and over. over. So it was a very quick decision. It was (laughs) a very quick decision. And, I mean, honestly, to be a little bit fair, I suppose, it's all new territory for everybody, including the governments and, and so on. So they're guided by 
people in very influential places who we rely on, like doctors and specialists and, and scientists like yourself and all that sort of stuff on the information that they're getting. But the information changes so quickly, it must be difficult for them to make a uh, the most opportune decision at any particular point in time. Most definitely, because this being an experimental trial yeah and if you're a person with chronic degenerative diseases you would like to know um would that have a long-term effect on my health absolutely yeah um is everyone sitting down with their general practitioners to discuss these um potential side effects and is there any studies being done with this uh, trial vaccine with chronic degenerative diseases. Yeah, and this is the other thing too. I've also heard that, you know, and it's quite right, I think it was actually mentioned before with our first guest, that this is not a one-size-fits-all vaccination, although it's been sold that way. Correct, and um, that's that's the problem we have, and I guess it's quite interesting that you should say this one-size-fits-all product is is nothing uh, it should not um be administered to everyone it, it can't be it states that in the inserts of um these products that um go and check for allergies uh please check for um any um you know reaction that you may have to the ingredient in that uh vaccine so it, well, a, am i wrong in the, it wasn't like some like an anaphylactic shock anaphylactic yep. yep you yep. should not have this uh vaccine if you um suffer from any that's right i think they said if you've got that not to take the pfizer one pfizer yeah yep. right yeah i saw that the uk as well for people under the age of 40 are going to end up taking a different one again correct they're going to be rolling out up to about seven different products right. Yeah, and people with um, diabetes and, and those kinds of diseases also being uh, cautioned? Yes, so people that, um, again, have chronic degenerative diseases, diabetes, mm. obesity, must be handled with care. Absolutely, and, and, and that's a discussion that everybody responsibly should be having with their GP um, or whoever it is that's administering the vaccine, yes or no? Well, this is correct because it's all about safety. Yeah. And um, if we're doing a trial, then... By all means, just make sure you are safe to be part of that trial. So, so what you're saying is the world population is the trial at this point in time. Correct. Yeah. And Pfizer tells us that and Greg Hunt has yeah. told us that. They've yeah. been open about that. So I guess um, I think everyone has a, a choice. Yeah. And if um, you do have a choice to make, please do it with... Um, due diligence. Due diligence. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But I think also, too, have to take into account that the TGA has, has mentioned um, that out of the five cases that have been reported since the 23rd of April uh, that have been hospitalised with this thrombosis, this blood clotting, uh, four have been discharged from the hospital and are back at work and there's only one that's left at the moment. So, there is, you know, it's not all bad news. No, it's not. No, it's not. But at the same time, I, I want to be informed of everything before I make a decision. Well, the TGA do a weekly report now, yeah. which you can go find on their website, mm. which is pretty pretty good, I think. It's, it's it, it gives you an opportunity to have a look at it and see what's actually happened over the week and what yeah. they've investigated and what they've seen. Yeah. But it's like anything. I think we have to look at so – it's like anything to do with media or anything out there. You need to look at so many different sources. Most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. It's, it's, a, it's a quandary that we're all put in at the moment. Now, I'm also concerned with the fact that with the way things are going – we in Australia are lucky because we're isolated from the rest of the world because we're an island, number one. And we've done all the right things as a population generally over the last little bit to protect ourselves. And that's why we're in such a good position. But 
as business becomes more involved in governments, because economies need to be run efficiently and big businesses like airlines need to work to make profit, which just makes complete sense. The borders will open at some stage. Okay, So all this is going to start all over again because I can guarantee you one thing. I don't believe, my personal view, is that we haven't got the uh, um, the hotel quarantine thing sorted out by a long stretch of the imagination. Mm. It's a long way from, from free because my understanding is this virus is spread very easily via air, right? So people mm. talking to each other, people singing, shouting, whatever it might be, and the aerosols, and that's all you need. Am I right? Yes, and um, which leads to another confusion of why um, 75,000 people can go to a football match yeah. and only 14,000 are allowed to go to an Anzac parade. So it's I, I sort of wonder sometimes whether they're because of political agendas rather than actually you know, a, yeah, a medical we want, agenda. We want decent medical advice mm. to help for safety. We don't want something that's very confusing on the levels of like. Yeah. Contracting. Yeah, a, we were a talking about that earlier on, uh, Ken and I, because we were saying, like, it's very, very difficult. Where do we, where do you go to find out the information? Yeah, well, this is it. It's a hard place to you, find. You'd think they would, the government would like put an ad or something on TV or something. You know, like an ad where you can go to this particular website for COVID and it'll give you all the information about the vaccination and mm. and so on. And I think they do have something on COVID, but not about the vaccination. Is that correct? No, I'm not because too sure. it says um, TGA regulations around advertising. Right. Okay. And I guess because we're under emergency. Um, powers, mm. you have restrictions right, okay. yeah. around that. Well, the FDA, as far as I understand, has not approved the vaccination. It's only authorised for emergency use. Correct. AstraZeneca, that is, I think. I think both of them, for, isn't it? Okay, no, yeah. I think no, it's AstraZeneca for the FDA at the moment. So here in Australia, they both are provisionally approved, which yep. is not full approval, approval yeah. of these right. products, mm-hmm. and um, but they can be used under the emergency power. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah. So I'll put the question to you that we that we put to the the, the the first doctor was, what do you think of the herd immunity concept, which a lot of people have thrown around over this period of time about it? Yes, which I guess um, it can be used in in what you're trying to uh, promote, I guess, and um, you know, back in the old days with um, you know what we used to do when you wanted to. Uh, you know, share a, a virus or you put your children in the same room and um, they would, you know, contract the... Uh, uh, Chickapox or measles or mumps. Yeah, they did it on purpose. Yeah. They so did they it on get, purpose, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So they were never afraid, were they? Yeah, Back yeah. in the old days, and I know the community understands this right. concept and used it very well. I still can't go to City Hall. <laughs> Yeah. So we used to have we were forced to go to City Hall to get our injections there because that's where it was all done. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, yeah, and you would actually create the um, antibodies and, yeah. And, yeah. and do Absolutely. it that way. Because so. I remember when COVID first came out, everyone was talking about all these natural remedies, you know, like you, you, know, you go, go and uh, drink uh, ginger ale and because uh, it's got this particular uh, yeah. uh, compound in it and, mm. you know, take lots of zinc and 3,000 yeah, milligrams would... of vitamin C every day and all kinds of different things. So you yourself were saying before, as you were saying before, but there are some natural remedies, the things that can help our immune system. So what, what would you recommend? Well, can I hang yep. on to that thought just for a moment? Yep. Because I've got a series of questions in that line, right. which I want to go through in just a moment. I do also want to go back to the SMS here, which is um, you know, basically, I think this is an interesting question. I'd like to have this answered before we go into that part of the th- right. thing, Yeah, And basically the question from uh, SMS is, has any laboratory isolated the virus? And I guess... Um, 
that was a, a question I had for myself too because once this all came out um, and when they say isolated did they purify it um, did they actually sequence the actual COVID-19 strain that um, you know is part of the generic strain yeah um, that was confirmed through a letter of freedom of information um, to say well it's just a, a generic SARS-CoV-2 and that was to be verified by the government. So what? So what does that mean? It's a generic SARS-CoV-2. What is correct? It? It's just a generic so SARS-CoV-2, so and that was coming from the horse's mouth. The Freedom of Information, where we requested the actual gene sequence, isolated, purified, to show us, please. And um, no, we just this just the generic okay, SARS-CoV-2. All right. Okay. Well, we we need to take a quick break. So. When we get back, I want to talk about, as Dean said, what can we do naturally to support our immune systems and to, to deal with the COVID situation? Um, is there an antidote? Any kind of health tips, that kind of stuff oh, that yeah, you might look there, at? Yeah? We've, we've come across... Because um, cure a, is also something that's never been talked about or rarely talked about. No, I guess um, we're always about, um, you know, prevention's better than a cure, right? And yeah. I guess um, we came across uh, a fruit of early medicinal chemistry since 1920. Hold on to that thought, Simone. Hold on to that thought. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. Uh, Bay FM 100.3, live and local across the Bayside and beyond. Searchlight Conversations. And tonight the subject is the COVID conundrum. Back with Simone Sleep in just a moment. Bay FM 100.3. This is Searchlight Conversations with Dean and Ken. And tonight the topic is the COVID conundrum. Our guests earlier on, Dr. Kirsty Short, a virologist at University of Queensland. And later on, coming in, Dr. Alwyn Gubatero, who is the senior consultant scientist. He has a PhD in immunology. And Katie Allen, the former medical researcher and currently the member for the House of Reps, LNP, representing Higgins of Victoria. But our guest right now is Simone Sleep, who has a Doctor of Philosophy and a graduate of Griffith University and is doing uh, currently doing a doctorate in medical research. Been in clinical practice as a naturopath for 24 years. And just before the break, we were chatting about a whole bunch of things about the current situation. I've got one question that I don't think anyone's asked yet anywhere that I can see is that, okay, I've had COVID, I got infected with COVID and I've recovered. Okay, you said it had a 99.9% recovery rate, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic. So I've recovered from COVID. What would happen if I got the vaccination does that have an adverse effect or could it potentially have an adverse effect because i've recovered from it and i've got the antibodies already in my body look this is a very important question because um a general practitioner in victoria was asking the same question and has um found through clinical observations that um the patients in nursing homes in victoria who were tested for COVID antibodies prior to getting any COVID vaccine found an increased um, risk to side effects of mm-hmm. that vaccine. Mm-hmm. So he's now questioning uh, whether we should do some blood tests to check to see if you've got the actual antibody before you go and get the vaccine. Might yeah, be a safe option. But I did see there has been some information out there as well that there are some side effects they believe that could be directly related to COVID-19 as well that can cause a lot of these side effects that are occurring at the moment too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I think it's it's very wise to uh, get a blood test Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. you get a vaccine because I think that would... um, If you've had COVID already. Exactly. Yeah. Because you want to see if you've developed the antibodies. Yep. 
and um, and maybe look at um, uh, what this general practitioner is investigating down in Victoria. So um, he's definitely putting his cases forward to have um, uh, Professor Brett Sutton, who's a Chief Health Officer in Victoria, to maybe investigate have a look at it. and yep. have a look at this because yep. we are an experiment. We do need to keep vigilant about anything that goes on. Yeah. And if a general practitioner does find something that could provide um, valuable information, they need to be heard. Yep, absolutely. And I think, and, and, and because it is a, a new thing and there's been no precedence for it, there's been no long-term research done on it or investigations on it, everything should be looked at because I think everything has a validity to it. Correct. And yeah. Pfizer's been open and saying, look, this, we've only done short-term studies. We don't know what the long-term effects are. Which is why they've got no inserts in their product? Well, Pfizer said that they were not going to release a, a manufacturing insert with their product until 2023. <laughs> when, so, when the experiment's <laughs> over. And okay. we are the experiment. Yeah, so. <laughs> fair enough. All right. Okay. Well, on the, let's, let's have a look at what we can do. Okay. We're, we are a human being and we're a, we're a biological thing, right? Everything that we do to our body has a consequence. Okay, so people with chronic diseases particularly are more vulnerable than others. If we look after ourselves really, really well, the opportunity for any kind of virus or any kind of uh, mel, mel, mel thing is going to be lessened. Yeah. So what can we do to support our bodies? Well, the first thing to do is would be um, a common sense thing to do is, is change your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, start eating cleaner foods. Get off all your packaged foods. Um, adding vitamin C, as Dean said before, is fantastic, and zinc, and and um, making sure that we're getting on top of um, our high sugar levels because we love our sugar. Yes, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so, but um, there's been another uh, thing that I've um, come across um, where that's become very popular. Yeah. That's antiviral. Antifungal, it's anti everything. You've got my attention, <laughs> and um, and it's it's a it's over a hundred years old medicine. It's it's not new. It's nothing fancy, but it is so reliable. And um, they call it the pine needle tea. As simple as that. As simple as that. Three cups a day of pine needle tea. What'll that do for me? So basically, as I said before, it's antibacterial antiviral to the system and it improves the immune system over time but you've got to incorporate that with good eating as well you can't be out there smoking and you can't be out there drinking copious amounts of alcohol and then expect everything then have a cup of tea and it's all fixed yeah no Mm. no, it's like going to confession on a Sunday (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly good analogy but yeah Yeah. Yeah. that's exactly right so but make it quite clear you just don't go Taking some pine needles off a tree and no. start put them in boiling water and drinking. No, it. no, no. There's um, there's places that you can go. You can yep. even um, visit your local naturopath, or um, you can find a lot of the herbal teas. But the pine needle, um, you know, tea, and I guess the medicine has been used for the African um, sleep disease. Right. You know, so this has got the sleeping some, sickness they used to call it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So this this um, product has. Um, made its, um, you know, point, point <laughs> yeah. of what it can do. Yeah. Right. So, 
you know, it's got that, some it's, that helps you boost the immune system, which of course is going to help Most you against definitely, all sorts of yeah. kind of nasties. Yeah. Okay. So maintaining a, a good vitamin level in our system. Yeah. Most yeah. definitely, and I guess um, staying off packaged foods mm-hmm. is, is vital to that as well. Exercising, getting sun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, vitamin D. You know, um, and I guess this is why we do have practitioners in in natural therapies is to get us back to nature. Yes, mm, exactly. I've, I've noticed that we've become too reliant on medication instead of... Uh, I'll take a pill. Yeah, I'll take a pill and it'll help me, but... It'll fix it and it won't. <laughs> no, we want the long-term effect of... Yeah. I'd, I'd rather stay healthy personally, but that's another... That's me, I'm weird. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> very interesting question just coming. Can people catch COVID off people who are vaccinated? Well, I guess the government have already said and Pfizer has stipulated that um, it does not stop transmission. No. At all. So the answer to that question is yes. And it lessens the symptoms. That's pretty much what it is, yes? Well, apparently it's meant to lessen the symptoms of COVID, but Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't stop the transmission. One other question I wanted to ask you too, um, you're a research scientist, right? You do lots and lots and lots of research science in laboratories at a university. So it's all legit, right? Have you have have you come across any um, suggestion of other medications to treat COVID rather than going to the vaccination process? So that's something that should, I think, should be looked at in the short, not the long term. So you're saying are there other therapies that would be available instead of just having one option thrown at us and that we've got to accept it and something like that not quite as harsh <laughs> as that but yes <laughs> yeah. so i guess um you know over in um over in the u.s they've said look you know we've got this other therapy we can use it's not just um you know these vaccines that we're we're coming out there's always been mentioned other therapies like um should i dare say hydroxychloroquine yeah. You know, things like that where they're banned here in Australia but has provided some amazing results. I mean, India was using that from the start. Okay. With well, so I guess there are... Other things. things but, whether, but, but not tested and proven and... Well, I guess, um, I guess based on um, people that are coming out providing us with the advice of what's going to work more effectively. Yeah. It's it's a it's a tall tall subject, isn't it? It's and and uh, it's it's never going to be answered in the next five minutes. No. I, can, I can guarantee you that. But is there anything else that you just wanted to like any uh, any health tips that you want to give us? Anything else you want to add in? Because we've literally got like two minutes left of your valuable time. Uh, anything else you just want to add into the conversation before we move on? Look, I think um, safety is paramount when we're coming to um, an experimental product that's coming out to the community mm. and. Um, if you're going to make this choice, please um, sit down with your general practitioner, um, especially if you've got chronic degenerative diseases, and um, to make sure that you're not going to react to any of the ingredients in those products because they are introducing more vaccines to come. Yes. It's not just these two. There's more coming. And then plus um, Australia's looking at developing their own. Yeah. So you want to make sure that you're not going to react to any of those ingredients, especially if you're taking a lot of medications, because Pfizer has said that uh, there is no current studies done with the vaccine with current de- uh, chronic degenerative diseases at right. this stage. So, right. you know, safety first. Safety first. I think that's a great message, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do your due diligence. Do your due diligence. Um, get 
all the help around, you know, changing your lifestyle. And go with the gut. If you don't feel you're getting the right answer, keep looking until you do. Please well, I think do. you need to, you know, ask yeah. your local GP that you've been going to see for the last yeah. ten years or so, yeah. and yeah, you know, what, which one do I take? Which one do I go? You know, they've got the knowledge, the background on you, your medical background. Correct. Yep. Correct. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, Simone Sleep, thank you so much for coming in tonight. I really do appreciate your yes, input. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, thank given you so a, much. It's given us a different look at the, the whole thing, a different perspective. And not only that, given us a few easy ideas on how to support our body naturally so that if ever it does happen, we can protect ourselves a little better, or at least not so be affected so much by it. Well, we can take responsibility. Uh, and that's that's it. That's carefully it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Bay FM 100.3, live and local across the Bayside and beyond. You're listening to Searchlight Conversations with Dean and Ken. Our next guest is Dr. Alan Gabotero. He is a senior consultant scientist with a PhD in immunology. He has a very interesting job, and we're going to talk to him very shortly about all those technical questions that are coming through on SMS on 0468 861003. Keep them coming in, please. 0468 861003. Bay FM 100.3. This is Searchlight Conversations with Dean and Ken. Well, welcome back. Searchlight Conversations, Dean and Ken. Our next guest, Dean, introduce, yeah. please. Well, that was, first of all, that was pretty interesting with Simone. It was, so, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Something a little bit different. It, well, it, it was, and I think it's good to have another look at it from a different angle. Always. But you can never have too much information, yeah. I always say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, now we're going to be talking to Dr. Elwin Gabataro. Thank you very much for coming in. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Now, Elwin is a senior consultant scientist, a PhD in immunology from the University of Sydney, HIV genetics and molecular biology, a postdoctoral fellowship on melanoma therapeutic vaccine. He has been directly involved in the registration of numerous novel therapies and in Australia and New Zealand. So give us a basic yeah. rundown of what you do. Doctor? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so my background is in um, medical research in immunology. I was based on HIV. I was doing population genetics, so I got a lot of uh, exposure to st- statistics. Right. Then I moved on to the melanoma cancer vaccine, and that was a genetically engineered whole cell vaccine. Right. And we ran a trial over at the PA on that, and that was very good. And now I work in the field of regulatory, where I work to get new medicines approved in Australia and New Zealand. Right. So that's the, the summary of it. Right. Wow. So, COVID-19, yeah, the vaccination. Well, I think it's sort of um, a miracle of modern science, and I understand it's a controversial topic, and, and that's completely understandable considering mm-hmm. the timeframes involved and how it's completely unprecedented. But um, what I can say from the Australian perspective is, is that I'm glad we have the TJA on our side. I work closely with the TJA on a daily basis um, to get new drugs approved and to keep drugs on the market. And I understand how they work, and I understand that they are quite conservative, and their number one priority is patient safety and public safety. So that's that's good to know. Right. Okay. So in your process, when it comes to these vaccines that have recently been released by Pfizer and AstraZeneca and so on, yep. um, the process that they have to go through to be... Uh, approved, I suppose. Yeah. So as with any new medicine, and these I include these new vaccines in that, um, they have to undergo quite a comprehensive, probably called pre-market testing. So first they get tested in the laboratory, in test tubes and in animals, and I understand it's controversial, but it's still a necessity at this point in time. Yep. So they get extensively tested in, in the test tube 
and in animals. It's what we call toxicology testing or non-clinical testing. And we have various um, validated tests that can test for things like um, their effects on the cardiovascular system, their effects on the reproductive system, their effects on the nervous system. Uh, mutagenicity, if they can mutate our cell, our, our, gen, our genome, and if they can cause cancer. So these go through all these tests first in the lab and in animals before they can even consider introducing this into a human in a clinical trial. Right. And so what they do is, when they do animal studies, they look for what we call the, the NOEL, the No Observable Adverse Effect Level. Right. So that's the, the highest dose in which that drug does not cause and adverse effects in these test animals. Right. And then we determine that, we calculate the human equivalent dose from that, and then we reduce that by a number of logs. So it's reduced by 10 to 100 times that non-observable adverse effects in animals right. before it's even tested in humans. So the, 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 the $24 million question here, I suppose, is a lot of people say, well, you know, geez, that vaccine happened very, very quick, quicker than yeah. normal. Yeah. And, uh, and others at the same time are saying, well, you know, maybe it's uh, uh, it, why it didn't happen sooner. Yeah. It's a catch-22. If we didn't make it in one year, then people would be complaining. We didn't yep. make it in one year, now people are still complaining, so you can't win either way. Mm. But um, what, what I can say is, and, and this is all over the internet, why it's been such a compressed timeline is because it's been unprecedented um, resources that have been thrown into it, and the governments have backed it at an unprecedented level, and because there's no financial risks to the pharmaceutical companies making it because they know, well, it's, it's, an, it's a needed product. Whereas other novel therapies, that when these things cost hundreds of millions of dollars to to um, develop, um, the drug company needs to be sure that they're going to make you know their, their money yeah. back on that. We did hear from Dr. Kirsty Short, didn't we, Ken? That said that it became a, more of a societal yeah. uh, a responsibility Absolutely. from the companies yep. to take the gamble to get that result as quick as possible yep. to get that vaccine out to save millions of people. Correct. Yeah. 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 Yep. So that's why all these unprecedented resources were thrown into it, ne- never before seen. Yeah. And so that's why we were, it shows us what we can achieve when we're really under the gun. Yeah. And also when we work together as it's a community. 100%. Yeah. Hmm. So the next step after that occurs. Yeah, so once we um, figure out the safe dose that we can start to introduce it into people, and remember this is 10 to 100 times lower than the safe dose that we see in animals yep. converted to the human dose, yep. um, then, we, then we start the clinical trials. And we start it, there's phase one clinical trials, and that's a test for safety. Yep. Then, it get, then once it passes that, it goes to phase two, which is safety as well, but also a little bit of efficacy. Yep. And then once it passes that, then it moves on to f- the large phase three trials that you all hear about in the news, right. which are to test, of course, always safety, but also they test for efficacy in those larger trials as well. Right, okay. And so so the, the vaccines that they have now have gone through those three yep. trial periods? Correct, yep. Right, okay. Well, um, because of the... Um, the emergency authorization in America and the provisional um, uh, authorization in Australia. And these, right. these, at least in Australia, the provisional authorization framework has been around for a while. And that, these are for these emergency sort of medicines. Right, okay. So they may not have undergo, or they may not have completed the phase three trials, um, but that's part of their provisional registration. They have to complete those to get a full registration. Right, okay. But they have enough evidence to support the safety of the products as indicated in their literature. Right, okay. So it it sort of still is a little bit experimental. 
<laughs> to, to a point. Yeah. So let, let me let me just clarify that because when you say experimental, mm-hmm. it, the, the public might get the wrong impression. I'm of not what trying to scare anyone. No, no, I there. understand <laughs> that. But I, but like, this is just something that I understand people yep. will be concerned of about course. when when you when you talk about things these ways. Um, every, I mean, because then you can say everything's pretty much experimental. But how how it works in the drug field? Once a drug is in is approved. Of course, we, with any medicine, we won't know the long-term, any sort of long-term information on it yeah. unless a long-term has passed. You just That's just the way things are. And that's with any medicine, including these vaccines. Yeah. So we have this process called pharmacovigilance. And this is also part of the registration process that once the product is approved, it is constantly monitored after it's been approved in the, in the market. And any new safety signals that arise from the public and from the doctors get reported to the TGA. Yep. And if that is serious enough, like what, what, how it happened with these blood clots, um, then there could be a, a, a temporary pause on the supply so that the safe, and it, it's not a, a pause on the supply because people are freaking out and it's you know dangerous. Yep. Yep. It's a pause in the supply to review the information, yep. then update the safety information accordingly. Yeah. So they paused the AstraZeneca for about, what, 24 hours, less than 24 hours. So they could update the safety information to to prefer that to be given to people over 50. Right, okay. Yeah, because that's great with the, the TGA when they're doing their weekly reports now as yeah, well. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Where they, they, they accumulate all that information and, and basically come up with some type of uh, yeah. response to what the, all the questions that yeah, are out there. correct, yeah. Right, so um, what's the next step with it all then? So the next step with it all is that we just have to keep um, – and because part of the company I work with, um, we do pharmacovigilance for many drugs. So, you know, we'll, we'll get these sort of calls in mm-hmm. and then – and, you know, the – the safety information of these vaccines will, will evolve over time as we learn more about it. Um, but just keep in mind that patient safety is the number one priority. Um, so uh, the next, I, I know um, there was these issues with the with the blood clots. I don't know if you want me to just, my, my background is, a science, is yep. in science yes. and in statistics. Um, so I'm not a medical doctor, so I can't give anybody any medical advice, and none of this should be taken as medical advice. Right, mm-hmm. of course. But with regards to the risk of um, these blood clots, f- just to put things into into perspective, right? Um, uh, there's there's also there's been this comparison in the news as well about um, uh, your blood clots with the with the normal uh, with the pill with the contraceptive pill. Um, so when you correct for mortality for death for mortality, you're four times more likely to die from the contraceptive pill than you are from the vaccine. Right. That's not to put anybody off the contraceptive pill. This is just to put things into perspective. Mm-hmm. And your risk of dying from driving in any given week is even higher than dying from the right. COVID vaccine. That's right. just to give you an idea of how low that risk is. Because I know people, you see it in the news and you see the numbers, yep, you see someone's died yep, and everyone freaks freak out, out when yeah. they see it. Yeah. yeah. But when you, under, sort of, when you understand the risk in these sort of everyday terms, like you've got a higher risk of dying from a car accident. And we did not we did mention earlier too, because the fact is that because they're recommending AstraZeneca now for the over 50s, yep. of course, that's the population, the age group, yeah. the demographic at the moment that are all taking it. Yep, of yep. course, we're going to have cases that are coming through there and so on. Yeah, and the, yeah, that's just... But as I mentioned earlier, the, most of the cases now have been released and they're, they're fine, gone back to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yep. So, I mean, my me personally, and this is not medical advice, but me personally, I'm comfortable with the vaccine. I've told my parents to get it. They're over 60, they're over yep. 65. So they've both gotten their first jabs now and, yep. I'm, and I'm happy with that personally. Right. So that's just my opinion. That. So here's the question, and which has come to us quite on the text messages and the questions that we've asked the previous guests. Yep. Can can so the vaccination is not a cure, is it? 
No, it's not, it's not a cure. And um, maybe that's another statistical answer I might go, because you've, you've seen on the news that the Pfizer vaccine is like 95% yeah. effective, whereas the AstraZeneca vaccine is only about 70% yeah. effective. I think a lot of people misunderstand that. I, they think that the yeah. vaccine is the cure to it's it. It's not. And no, it's not. not. No, but that's that's the big sort of misunderstanding. The, the vaccine hasn't been shown to, to necess- necessarily stop being infected by the by the virus. Right. Um, it, it possibly can. We're still finding that out. But what the vaccines are designed to do is to stop severe illness and death. And all the vaccines so far are able to prevent severe illness and death. And, right. and that's that's the main objective and that's what we want. But it won't do. stop you contracting COVID-19? It may, it may not. And it won't stop you transmitting that COVID-19 if we, you've got it? We don't know at the moment. We don't know. The, so there's we, no guarantee. We, we, we can speculate, yes. but that's all we'll be doing yeah. right now is speculating. Yeah, we'll we'll right. find the answers uh, in, a, in, a, in a bit, probably a few months, uh, in a year or so. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can you explain shedding to me? It's another term that just got thrown at me the other day, and I'm not, I kind of understand, but not particularly yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, it's just when you have infectious viral particles in your bodily fluids and, you know, you're... And then you, you might sneeze or cough, or you might rub a door handle or press an elevator. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. And so, you, so you have the live virus there in your bodily fluids and everything you touched. Or so it's like a transmission. Yeah. Yeah. Transmission, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. P- uh, transmission vehicle, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, what what protocols and or advice or warnings are GPs giving to patients before they get the COVID nineteen vaccination? Um, I, I'm not a medical doctor, so I. I can't. I can't answer that specifically. But what I can say is that um, uh, just because uh, I sort of I overheard um, on the previous person that you were interviewing, I just want to clarify that with all these medicines and these are what we call Schedule Four medicines, so you need prescription for them. Yeah. For any medicine that you need to get an injection. Yeah. Those medicines need to be provided with what we call with package inserts. That's right. We talked about that. With product yeah. information, with consumer medicines information. Yeah. Yep. All these vaccines, the COVID, the uh, AstraZeneca vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine, have these. These are publicly available. You can go to TGA website, search them up, and you can download these documents yourself. And these have all the background information on the safety and efficacy of it. Mm-hmm. And and these can be included. So the Pfizer vaccine actually does have a package insert in there. So it does have one. It does have one. So that was an incorrect statement. So, okay. Is it in Australia? Yeah, it's yeah, no, 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 right no. here. That's this okay. is it here? Yeah, I gotcha. It is, maybe, maybe someone was referring to the American version. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, in Australia, yeah. it's, 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 it's a legal requirement for yeah. any parental judge. And of course, they'd be updated as, 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 yeah. the, as the trials go on and so on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well. A couple of quick questions that are going through on the uh, on, from the SMS. If we, if it's a bit of sidetrack, I understand. Um, there's no longitude trials. We don't know the outcome of side effects of the vaccine. Are the public signing a waiver against side effects? Uh, no, and there are longitude trials. That's what the um, that's what the phase three trials are. They're longitude, and a lot of them are still ongoing. What's a longitude trial? Oh, sorry, longitudinal. Yeah. Sorry, means you, you start forward. So you start from. Uh, baseline of patients, one with the treatment group, one in a placebo group, for mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. and then you treat them, then you put them out in the public, and then you then you trace whether they get infected. So, for example, I, I, the COVID vaccine can prevent infection. I'm sorry, I, I should clarify that. Yes, it can prevent infection. And in the Pfizer vaccine, at least in those trials, they showed a 95 protection against infection. But all the vaccines have 100% efficacy against severity, disease, and against right. death. Yep. And that's the most important one. You don't that's want to die from it. That's the most important thing. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, that makes complete sense. Yeah. It does. Um, are mutations covered? Um, 
we're, we're lucky because the AstraZeneca actually was tested in Brazil, mm-hmm. which is that's the new um, variant of concern. Yep. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there is 100% coverage on that. But speaking from a scientific point of view, the the platforms that from which these vaccines are developed make it easy for them to change the the antigens that are presented, so they can qu- quite readily change the um, the formulation of the vaccines to cover any new mutations. And on top of that, what we're seeing now, because my background is in HIV genetics, so I, I yeah. mapped the HIV genome and saw how it um, mutated in the body yeah. and how it affects disease progression. The same thing's happening that people are doing the same thing with COVID. They're mapping how the virus mutates in the public. And what they're finding is that these mutations are converging into one sort of common sequence so that... What's the ramifications of that? Uh, it'll be easier to vaccinate then and easier to treat because because these... So be, it's, it's the convergence gives you one... Yeah product, if you like, to, to, to vaccinate against exactly, rather yeah. than a whole variation of them. Yeah. Okay. Once again, this is speculation. This can change by tomorrow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I suppose it makes it very difficult because we've had quite a few years with other vaccines, you know, measles and so on, mm. and now we've had, what, maybe two years with this one to come up yeah. with an answer? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I suppose it is really flipping the coin in lots of ways, isn't it? In, in many ways, but because of the process that we have in place, yep. and these are... Th- because Australia is considered a tier one country, yep. like yep. the US, like Europe, yep. right? So our processes in place are incredibly robust and incredibly validated. So in terms of patient safety, I, I do have every confidence in, in what the TGA does. Yeah. I think we're very lucky that we are an island. Absolutely. Yeah, and, the, and the government yeah. did take yeah. a, a, a great measure in closing it off a little bit. Yeah, yeah, because we still have that breathing space, don't yeah. we? I mean, we, yeah. we – and look – and for anyone that's, that's actually had misery caused by COVID, I'm sorry, but the fact is mm. that we have been fortunate we have. in lots of ways Very. compared to other countries. I'd yeah. like, I'd, you know? I would not like to be in India right now. Well, we still mm. have the choice. Yeah. We still have the choice to choose, haven't we? I mean, like, yeah. you know, the choose word, do we take the vaccination, do we don't? Yeah. Do we go into isolation? What do we do? I mean, so we are very, very fortunate. We are, yeah. We're not you know? as um, desperate as other countries. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's... So it, it can't be controversial. What we're trying to do tonight is to take the controversy out of it and just give yeah. lots of information yeah. and lots of education yeah. and lots of real, proper science, transparent and, and the truth of it all. Um, but I'm, I'm a little bit confused. Another story that came through today, and I don't know if you can answer this question or not, but maybe you can respond to it in a way that I can make a little bit more sense out of it. But I, I read a story today where the Seychelles have 60% of the adult population fully vaccinated mm. against uh, COVID-19 had both their shots, but now they're back in lockdown for two weeks because it's broken out again and people are getting affected by it. What's going on? Yeah, I'm not sorry. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the case there to really comment on it. So I... Well, I, uh, yeah, I, I, can't, I don't have an answer for that. Answer, so, okay, yeah. that's, that's fair. I, I don't want you to, to <laughs> pull the wall over my yeah. eyes just for the sake of answering the no, question. No, yeah. But uh, can I ask another question then? Do you know the difference between what China is using, what India is using, what UK is using, what Australia is using as far as vaccinations go? Uh, not, no, not really, because obviously my focus has mainly been Australia and the implications, of course, but and, and what's been happening in yeah. the UK and the US because that's where the vaccines that we're getting are coming from. So I've been following that. Um, but, but I suppose the, an interesting thing is that the, the Russian vaccine actually seems to be doing quite well. 
Yeah. Um, but for those in, I suppose those in my field who are familiar with how Russia makes medicines, <laughs> we're not surprised because Russia actually has really high standards when it, ter- when it comes to... Is that right? That's mm. true. Yeah, 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 yeah. They have very high standards when it comes to make, making medicines. So... That's interesting. I would have thought contrary. But anyway, that's exciting. Yeah, well, no, yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah. yeah, a lot of people would, yeah. Yeah. I think it's great because the, tonight's been, been good so far because we've got so many different ideas and different viewpoints yeah. on this vaccinations. And, uh, and I think we do need it because, as I mentioned earlier on with one of our guests, you know, you know is COVID-19 uh, a severe case of the flu, which a lot of people used to say it was. Remember mm-hmm. the people yep. go, the oh, it's just yeah. a bad case of the flu, yeah. it's fried, yeah. it's this and so on. So there is a lot of... Um, uh, um, the old wives' tales out there when it comes to this. And I think we're getting the same thing now with the vaccinations, aren't we? We're getting myths, you know, sort of things they've heard and so on. They're making all these ideas out of it. And so rather than actually looking at the facts. Mm, yeah. But I suppose it's difficult because if you if you don't know, where would you know how which sources to trust? So that, that's a Well, we mentioned situation. that earlier on. There, there really is uh, – it's the first time I've seen where there's really nothing there that can that directs the public. Yeah. And in, in terms that the public can understand. Yeah. You know, we don't want to all go out and try, try to get a degree in exactly. in, 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 uh, in virology or something to something yeah. so we can actually exactly. go out there and yeah. understand what's being I, I spoken. Think, I think what you're saying is, is right. It, because we rely on the news. We and do. We, you know, the news sources, you can put your own opinion on where, well, how good or accurate they are. Uh, at the end of the day, they're a commercial organisation. They're out for a headline. They're out for ratings and advertising that goes with it um, and the government is also repli- relying on the news sources to get the information out that they want yeah. um, and then it goes on and on and on but you're right there is no one simple one stop shop where we can go to as citizens to know that if we go to that place we are going to get accurate scientific transparent reliable information on all the questions that yeah. we have and we're going to be able to say okay now I understand is there a vaccination app yeah, well, no, there's We've not. We've had a COVID app, you know, the, the, <laughs> yeah, the COVID yeah, safe app. The COVID yeah. safe app. But there's yeah, a vaccination yeah. app, no, and yeah. which gives you all the information on the vaccination. I mean, oh, look, I'm just putting it out yeah, there, but I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it would help, don't you think? Well, I mean, well, I mean the, 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 the TG, as Dean mentioned before, is, is a good source, and they have frequent updates, and, right, and yeah. you know that that's reliable information. Is it yeah. in simple English? Uh, yeah, they've got yeah, it it's in late. It's in late terms. They have yeah. technical yeah. sites, and they also have those. Yes. Yeah, it, it, it's about, um, look, I've downloaded it, comes to about eight pages. Pages a weekly report, really? but the yeah, first yeah. page is very understandable. You know, yeah, very comprehensive. You can look at it and go, okay, this is what's come out. This right. is the result for it. The rest of it is a lot of technical information. What's that, the website? Uh, you should just go to tj.gov.au TG, yeah. and then you'll you'll, you'll find it's on the top of the page. You'll see right. COVID yeah. vaccines. Yeah, mm-hmm. but also another good site is also from the um, Department of Health website. Um, on COVID vaccines. So if you go to health.gov.au. Yeah. Uh, That's the federal government site? Yep. yep. So these are all government sites. Yeah. And they've got this nice page there where it's got all these weird questions like, does does um, does the vaccine give you Wi-Fi? These ridiculous questions that you <laughs> yeah. see, but they actually answer them seriously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, does um, 5G cause, you know, these yeah, weird yeah, questions yeah. you see going But around. see, I'd turn off that straight away. Yeah. I, I would. I hope yeah. most people do because it's yeah. a concern that the government seems to need to put these things up, but they do and they treat it seriously. Well, if you look at the the latest report by the TGA, it actually has here uh, frequently reported adverse events concerning AstraZeneca, and the same thing applies to Pfizer as well. Yeah, yeah. And it mentions things like headache, fever, muscle pain, chills, fatigue, and so on. And, uh, and and like with the Pfizer ones, it's got headache, muscle pain, fever, um, injection site pain, and nausea. 
So Shane, there are a little, there are a few yeah. variances yeah. when it comes. There to is. The yeah, I've spoken to four people yeah. who have had mm. the had the, the vaccination, and they've yeah. all had different um, side effects from it. Yeah, mm. and some are quite mild, and some are quite hello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. quite serious. But yeah. it's good to see that the government is actually pushing that forward. So we've got yeah. this weekly information coming through. Mm. I mean, it's a big plus. But I think I think a, a, a vaccination app would be a great idea. I think so, <laughs> especially for the average <laughs> guy. You know, you know. Yeah. So whoever puts an app vaccination app, I want at least ten percent of that, please. Okay, if anyone's going to take this idea on, it's going to patent it. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, last questions, mate. I, that, that, to me, I think that's 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 been great. Uh is there anything else you wanted to cover, Doctor Ellen? Because I've 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 gone through all the listeners' questions that are, are relevant for you, and yeah. um, you've explained the shedding to me, which is great. Any, I'll ask you this question. I don't know if you can answer this one either, because yeah. it's probably a little bit out of your field. But are there any cures or treatment on the horizon? Well, there's a whole bunch. Uh, like you know, you've all heard of ivermectin, the hydroxychloroquine, yeah. and yep. um, remdesivir. Just by the very nature of this situation, they're, they're all ex- experimental. I'm doing this with um, air quotation marks. Just by the very nature of this of the situation. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not dismissive of any of them because it's too early to tell. Even yeah. hydroxychloroquine, as, as controversial as that is, from a scientific perspective, maybe not so. I still think it's probably worth looking, especially for more earlier stage patients. Right. It doesn't seem to be effective for those in late stage um, disease. Um, but then again, you do have the, the risk of that whole cardiovascular events with hydroxychloroquine as well. But that's yeah, what the yeah. doctor should take into account. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you mentioned before you started uh, research with the HIV yeah. many years ago. Is there any – you mentioned remdesivir as well, which I think is used for it's HIV. It's an anti, yeah, antiretroviral. Yeah, okay. good. <laughs> so is there a potential there? It, seem, it seems to be. And like with most of these, medis- these experimental medicines um, – it seems to work at early stage. And remdesivir is what we call a nucleotide analog. So it works by stopping the virus from replicating. Yep. And so in early stage Which disease... Which is how they treat the HIV. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So in early stage disease, it seems to be effective. But once you're in late stage disease with a higher viral load, then of course, stopping viral replication yeah. at that stage isn't going to be too helpful. Yeah. So do you think that we'll probably end up having to do um, uh, booster shots down the track? <sighs> too soon to tell. Yeah. We don't yeah. know. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've, well it's I, very informative. My head is spinning at the moment. It's so much, so much information. No, but I think it's fantastic. really good. I, I've really awesome. liked what you've done tonight, uh, yeah. Doctor Ellen, because I think what it's done is that it's clarified a few areas that were a little bit uh, uh, misty, if you want to put it for a better term, and a little bit foggy. You know, yeah, sure. where you've come out and said, "Well, this is the, the this is the actual evidence, the mm. facts to the point." And I think that's a, a good thing. Yeah. Sure. It's like anything that happens um, hearsay. Myths, yep. wives' tales. Absolutely. Everyone's got a mate who knows the secret. Yeah. You know, uh, a guy told me he works in a lab that said that, you know, you're you know, hairy palms if you take that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah. so, you know, it does it does happen. Yep. And I think we need to really sort of explode those myths. Excellent. Absolutely. Yep. Well, thank you so much for coming in. It really is a pleasure to have you, yeah, have you here today as a guest. Dr. Elwin Gibatero, who is the Senior Consultant Scientist, and you have a PhD in immunology. A great radio voice, by the way. And yeah, very good. Lots of really good information. Cheers. So thank you for coming in. Truly appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank and you. coming up in just a moment, we're going to have a chat to Katie Allen, who is a former medical researcher and currently the member of the House of Representatives, a member of the LNP representing Higgins, Victoria. And we're going to talk about uh, what the government's doing from this point forward. Bay mm-hmm. FM 100.3. You're listening to Searchlight Conversations. Bay FM 100.3. This is Searchlight Conversations with Dean and Ken.
Katie Allen was born in 1966, is an Australian politician and former medical researcher who's been a member of the House of Reps since the 2019 federal election. She's the member of the Liberal Party representing the division of Higgins in Victoria. And Katie, as a former medical professional throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, was active in educating the community on proper hygiene, physical distancing and mask etiquette. Katie also serves on the National COVID-19 Health and Research Advisory Committee, working to provide advice on Australia's health response to the COVID-19 pandemic to the Commonwealth Chief Medical Officer. Good evening and welcome, Katie. Good evening. Good evening, Katie. So thanks very much for coming on the show. This one's Ken and which is Dean, by the way. Well, I'm Dean. And I'm Ken and I'm the handsome one. Hi, Ken. Right, okay. (laughs) I can tell. (laughs) Mate. Yes, uh, Ken's definitely got the face for radio. <laughs> no one's going no to dispute that. They, they just, just can't. So, Katie, thanks very much for coming on the show tonight. We really appreciate it. I know you're very busy. You've got the, the budget coming up very, very soon. My pleasure. No worries at all. So, Katie, with the rollout of the vaccination program that the government is doing. So far, we've had, what, 2.6 million vaccinations so far, which works out to be about 10.3 doses per, uh, yeah, 10.3 per 100 people. Um, Is it going to plan? Well, I think the first thing to say is that um, Australia's in a great place because we've used health expert advice and an evidence-informed approach. So Mm -hmm. we've got it right when it comes to COVID. And we do know that Australians are feeling pretty comfortable with COVID at the moment. So uh, that has resulted in two things. Firstly, a sense of comfort that we know what we're doing. Um, And secondly, a sort of less of an urgency about um, whether people will take up the vaccine or not. So to this point in time, I think it has been slightly slower than what we would want. But now, going forward, I think that people are enthusiastically taking up COVID. Uh, It has been complicated because of the supply issue. Uh, There is basically a really complicated market out there overseas. When you look at particularly Europe, where we're getting our vaccines from until recently, mm-hmm. there's been um, huge amounts of COVID and COVID deaths, um, and they have needed every last dose. So there's been secure supply issues with regards to getting COVID from overseas here. And that's why I back in what Greg Hunt did last year. Our Minister for Health uh, knew that we needed sovereign supply. We needed to develop a manufacturing capability to make the vaccine on our shores and that is what he's delivered and that is why now the supply of the AstraZeneca vaccine is flying freely into uh, the Australian public and we are at a good point in time where people now um, are enthusiastically taking up the vaccine. Right, so basically once they get a comprehensive plan working to get into the community then once that happens the rates will go up. Yes, and I think the thing is that we've had a lot of time to prepare the rollout and, and other than the supply issue, the rollout was all ready to go. And so once the supply is starting to roll through, um, we're seeing the response going up. So there's kind of three parts to it. There's a the supply part, which we've had difficulties with for obvious reasons. There's been the rollout part, which actually is not a problem at all. Um, and then we've got the issues of potential side effects that might be driving vaccine hesitancy, which is also partly because people have kind of thought, well, we don't really need to rush into this. So there has been vaccine hesitancy, but I think people are seeing now that COVID's not going to go away. We need to learn to deal with this and we need to make sure that we keep those who are vulnerable from dying from COVID 
um, safe by vaccinating particularly them. That's where I think a lot of our efforts need to be going into, mm-hmm. particularly the older population. Yes. Um, and we'd, of course, like the whole country to get vaccinated for free and in a voluntary way. But making sure we protect our vulnerable is gotta be, has got to be our number one priority. Yeah, I think it's been great. I think I think um, it's good to see that we are out there trying to inform the people. I think a lot of the times, a lot of people don't get a lot of information out there. They don't know where to look. And it's good to see that the TGA recently has done their weekly report, especially on some of these mishaps that have occurred. Yeah, so I'm a, um, an allergist and gastroenterologist by training, mm-hmm. and people have very different approaches to risk. Um, there are some people who, you know, wouldn't leave their home if they knew that they're likely to get run over by a car. Um, And there are other people who say, well, that's part of life. And so the issue with trying to explain the risk of any possible side effects from the vaccine uh, can be difficult for people to interpret. But the most important thing is that effectively you're more likely to die driving to your COVID vaccine than you are to have any side effects and to die from those side effects from the COVID vaccine, no matter which one we're talking about. Um, and in fact, getting on a plane itself has risks um, of clotting, which are much higher than the risks of clotting from the COVID vaccine. But our government has decided that it is up to the individual to make that decision. Um, we want it to remain voluntary. We think it's important that people make the decision for themselves. The COVID vaccine has only been around for about a year. Uh, we feel comfortable with it. Uh, we know it's been tested in millions and millions and millions of people overseas. We know that our TGA is world-class uh, in its care and yep. thoroughness of looking at um, how well the vaccine has been tested and whether we've got enough information about its profile of side effects. And we feel comfortable now that people can see that that is the case. And when you look at what's happening in places like India, I think people are realising that in order to stay safe, we're going to have to engage with being vaccinated. Um, in order to open up our borders, we're going to have to put our shoulder to the wheel and um, get vaccinated. And we know that in the UK, where they had an absolutely terrible 2020 uh, with really high rates uh, of both COVID infection and death from COVID, particularly in their old population, there's been an enthusiastic uptake of the COVID vaccine in the UK because people feel they're doing it not just for themselves and for their families and for their loved ones, but they're doing it for their country. And I think that uh, with a 50% vaccination rate, that's really, you know, to be um, applauded and they're, they're doing very well with the vaccine rollout, which is they've had to do because last year um, it really was a really poor outcome for, for how COVID just raced through the country. Because I think in England over the last 12 months, they're pretty much in lockdown for the whole year. They've had a really tough time. Uh, they yeah. were very slow um, to do the things that we did. Uh, I personally think as a public health expert, the thing we did earliest uh, was to have our experts, people like Professor Brendan Murphy, who was mm. Chief Medical Officer, and a whole raft of experts make a very rapid decision to close uh, borders, firstly to the Wuhan population, then to Greater China, then to South Korea, then to Italy, and then finally to the US and then to the rest of the world. Right. That rapid response um, to make sure that we kept Australians safe uh, was the strongest Step that we took. Yeah, and that I, wasn't I, I agree with you. The rest of the world. Yeah, I think that the, the stance that the federal and state governments did uh, cooperatively was the thing that saved Australia from those numbers we're seeing from overseas. In fact, the lifestyle that we are now enjoying is because of that initial reaction, and subsequently, all of the population basically towing the line with that uh, with those uh, stances, which is great. Which is exactly where we are right now. 100%. 
Yeah, and yeah. that's a credit to every Australian. And I think that also says a lot about the Australian psyche as well, which is kind of yeah. cool. So, um, but my, my question to you, and I, I just want to sort of get this in my head as well, there is a lot of hesitancy out there still. We're still seeing a lot of people saying, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? Um, and then if we don't populate uh, a greater percentage of the population, and let's just say it's 50-50, and I'm just picking a number there, what is the ramification of that if the other 50% doesn't choose to volunteer to get the vaccination? Look, I think there's two schools of thought. I think one school of thought is a bit like the elimination versus aggressive suppression schools of thought. Um, you know, last year there was people who said we need perfection and complete elimination, and other people who said we need to suppress it, control it, um, but we're going to have to live with it. And I think the latter school was the one that won out. I think there's also two schools of thought with regards to perfection for vaccination. I think there are some people who think we can't open up until 100% vaccinated. I, I think that is not right. I think we won't reach that anyway. Yeah. And I think that we should be thinking about this as targeting uh, to vaccinate and protect the most vulnerable. That's what I'm aiming for. I think that's yes. the most important yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, and that we don't have to be perfect about this. Um, and people need to make decisions for themselves. But, you know, if you're younger, do it for your grandma, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But um, if people want to make that decision, we're fine with that. That's what I believe anyway. Now, there are some people who would say, well, we can't go anywhere until we get full vaccination. I just think that it's unreasonable mm. and it's not going to happen. And I think we should be having a, a, a mature conversation with the Australian public, which I think we have all, all along the way, mm. which is if we want to protect ourselves personally, individually, get a vaccination. If we want to protect our country, get a vaccination. But it's not the end of the world if we don't get 100% vaccination. Okay. Yeah. So just one question on that. And I think this is a little bit, it's a curious one for me. If um, overseas, for example, have got uh, vaccination passports. Now, I know that uh, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has said, no, we're not going to do that in Australia. But he's also considering all options. And that may be an option down the track. If we get to the point where we just say, well, we don't want to do a vaccination passport, but we will restrict what you can do outside your homes if you don't get a vaccination. Yeah, I think this is a very, very interesting uh, concept because this is, again, the way that different um, you know, political agendas are based on your under, under sort of underlying approach to, yep, so to, true. to I suppose, philosophy. Mm. And so... You know, as a, as a liberal national government, government uh, we believe in choice. And so in, in our view, you should be able to choose which, which you would prefer. And so, you know, you can come to this country potentially to be vaccinated or you can choose to be quarantined. Mm. And so if we give people choices that are both safe choices, then that in, enables and empowers them to make the right decision for them. So that's what I've been supporting and pushing for is this concept of choice. Um, I think there are some exceptions to the rule where we can't offer choice because it's too dangerous. So I've been advocating, for instance, for aged care workers mm. and residents to be vaccinated um, in a mandatory way, as we already do for the flu vaccine. It's already mandated that you have to have flu vaccine if you're on a frontline worker for aged care. Mm. And so I don't understand why we can't use that precedent for COVID as well. Um, and that's because you have a choice um, to have a job on the front line, or maybe you should choose to be having a, a job within the same industry but in a different part, not on the front line, because if you want to keep yourself and the aged care residents safe, then I think you should have a, a COVID vaccine. But I don't think we, should, we can mandate vaccines. We can just incentivise um, and give people the choice. So if you're going to, um, you know, have a choice to go to a restaurant, well, you know, that's your choice. So those 
situations, it may well be that people say, we want to have a vaccination program if you need to go to a certain, to have a certain privilege, I suppose, is a way to say it. And I don't think that's necessarily what we would do for restaurants, but it may be for a workplace which could endanger the lives of others if you don't get vaccinated. So I prefer to see choice um, maybe limited or mandated where you're putting the lives of others at risk when it's an individual workplace setting. But I think when we talk about the whole country, we believe um, in allowing people to make those decisions for themselves based on their own risk profile. And we believe that they should be empowered to make that choice. Excellent. I, I, I just want to take a quick break right now, if we can. Thanks, Katie. And when we get back, I'd like to have a quick chat about how the state governments and the federal governments work cooperatively or, or together uh, at currently, and also what could happen in the future if the state governments take a different direction to the federal government. So we'll be back very shortly. You're listening to Conversations, Searchlight Conversations on Bay FM. Our guest is Katie Allen, and we'll be back very shortly to talk more about the COVID rollout in Australia. Bay FM 100.3. This is Searchlight Conversations with Dean and Ken. Out on Searchlight Conversations tonight, we're talking the vaccination rollout. Our guest right now is Katie Allen, the Australian politician, former medical researcher, member of the House of Representatives, and as a former medical professional throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, very active in educating the community on how to deal with the COVID-19 situation. Katie, we just before the break, we talked about the federal and state governments working cooperatively in a great way to get the magnificent outcome we did in this country in the response to the COVID uh, in the first 12 months particularly. But as we head down into 2021, 2022, so on, um, do you see the national rollout, the national response fracturing between the federal and state governments? Because as they are not all LNP governments, they could probably do things their own way. Look, I, I don't actually. I think that for all intents and purposes, uh, federal and state governments, in fact all layers of government, including local council, have worked very hand in glove um, for the best outcomes for Australia. And I think that's what we're seeing. I think through national cabinet, but also you know, just through all layers of government working together for the betterment of Australia and for the common good has been, you know, a, a point in our history where we all look back with a huge sense of pride. Yes. And I do believe that people get that. Um, in politics, where there's friction is not usually about what the problem is. The friction is usually about how to solve the problem. And <laughs> yes. that, that's the beauty that's about That's a great line. I like that. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. <laughs> well, you know, and yeah. that's... Well, it's, I think we're all pretty sensible people. But we, you know, sometimes argue from different ends of the ideological spectrum, but we, we're doing it with, you know, for good reason. And that is, when there's not a good answer, sometimes it needs debate. And so I welcome debate about different ways to do things. I think that's really healthy. Um, but when when we do know things work, no one at the moment is is arguing that Australia needs to secure and supply and manufacture its own vaccine, and we've done that. No one argues we need a diversified portfolio of vaccines because of the different profiles of side effects, but also the different supply issues. And that has actually happened. And no one is arguing we need to roll it out in a free and voluntary way as quickly as possibly, hand in glove between the federal and state governments. So they're all good things that we can feel very, very comfortable about. I think where the friction has been has been where... Um, the, the friction in our federation is, which is the federal government's responsible for international borders and states are responsible for internal borders. Mm. And we haven't seen activation of internal borders like we have last year. But um, I don't think anyone uh, argues that we needed to restrict movement to control COVID. There were arguments about how to do that. I was a hotspotter. So I believe that the way that um, the New South Wales government did it was right, which was lockdown hotspots. Mm -hmm. not borders. Yes, and that's no. because 
partly um, I've come from Albury. I lived on the border, um, and and the communities don't see the borders like the big big city smoke people. Big, yeah, big I couldn't agree with you more. Smoke yes. city people do. Yeah. yeah, and so there were some sort of weird things that happened as a result with people who could have gone to a closer capital city, city had to go a lot further away, and unfortunately there were some bad health outcomes as a result. Mm. But that put that aside, I think we all realised that the restriction of movement was very helpful. Um, you were, you've got to contain an outbreak, um, and um, I personally would still like to see more of a hotspot approach. I think it started to get some legs last year. Um, and I think people are realising that the border closure is really hard economically and we really need to restrict it to... Yeah, I was just going, we now have... Yeah, go on. I was just going to say how... how, how I don't think people realise how impossible it is to deal with you trying to run an economy at the same time, keep everyone working, yeah. surviving, as well as trying to keep everyone safe from COVID. I mean, yeah, what a difficult yeah. situation. Well, that's why it's been pretty amazing the way you know the, all the governments have worked together um and again there's different philosophies some have been more focused on the health and some some have sort of been more focused on the health and economic outcomes and to be fair as a federal government the one that collects the taxes at the federal level we're probably more focused on both while i think the states have been more focused on just health because they do service delivery of health but i think we're now that we're using wastewater sewage assessment yeah. we're more able to do this hotspot analysis and i think we will get more of that response coming. We can see that from the states. They're not as prone uh, to looking at the state as a whole state lockdown. They're seeing how well Gladys Berejiklian did with her hotspot lockdown three times. She did it three times, firstly with the Ruby Princess, the second time with the Victorian outbreak where she actually managed her hotspot brilliantly, and then thirdly with her Northern Beaches outbreak. So I think we'll move to that, which is, I think, a good thing. And I can see the states are doing a brilliant job with their COVID vaccine rollout this week, Alone, Victoria's had a stunning week um, with the over 50 AstraZeneca rollout. So there's some really good stuff happening. And I think, yes, there is, you know, friction around the edges when when there's two ways to skin a cat or 10 ways to skin a cat. (laughs) But in general, I think it's been pretty sensible and pragmatic. And I'm pretty proud to be an Australian. Yeah, I think we're very, very lucky we've got the luxury where we are not in immediate risk like a lot of other countries are as well. Mm. Yes, we've got the ability to breathe a little bit before we make a decision. Yeah, the, the fact that we're well, an island also plays over. into the handy handy yeah. basket there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but this has happened over and over again for us as Australians in the public health um, domain. Uh-huh. Like, we had one of the best responses to the AIDS epidemic in the 1980s. And, uh-huh. um, in fact, many people involved in that response were involved in the COVID response in that they understood uh, and learnt very quickly from the mistakes that were made overseas and applied them to the Australian um, public health system. So we, we, we've been very good at learning quickly from um, large sort of, in, you know, natural history experiments overseas, um, and the Australian public recognised that. Right, OK. Just regressing a little bit, do you think that the hesitancy of getting the actual vaccine itself is caused by lack of information out there for people to follow? Because there are a lot of mixed messages out there from a lot of different sources, you know. We are talking, of course, the internet and everything else that goes on. Mm. Mm. I completely agree with that. Um, Look, people gather information. I'm a population health researcher by Mm -hmm. background, so I spend my time recruiting people from the general population to ask them to be involved in long-term studies. And we want, you know, the population recruited to be as reflective as the general population. So we're very aware of these different types of people or, you know, different types of sectors of the community that behave, you know, respond to information differently. So there are always people 
um, who will just say, look, what everyone else is doing, I'll do. And then there's a group of people who will sort of be cautious and they'll read everything that they can lay their hands on and they'll make their own decisions. Um, and then there are people who um, are very suspicious of the government or suspicious of what they read in newspapers and they'll only read you know, online. So there's lots of different groups. And so when we talk about the Australian public, of course, everyone, just like everyone, has a different risk profile approach, you know, how they deal with individual risk. There's also people who get the information from different places. So uh, you can't obviously control where information goes. We can just hope that um, over time people kind of see that there's a benefit for them um, and that the Australian government and the experts informing the Australian government have made a deliberate undertaking to be honest and transparent with information as it comes to light immediately. So there's no, there's no cover-up, there's no, we're holding back information. We made a very deliberate decision that any risk that occurred, even before it was known to be associated with COVID uh, or the vaccine, would be released to the public for them to have the information to make their own decision. Um, now, what that can result in is some people who become more nervous as a result. Right. But as over time, I think people realise that it's all there. It's all available. There's no cover-up. It's there for you to choose, and it's, you will not be forced to choose. You will, it's up to you to make the choice. I think there's definitely a societal responsibility for people to, uh, for the health of their own community. And also, too, um, it's great to see that there is a lot of information out there, but the TGA, TGA weekly report, I, I, I personally like, and I like the fact that they're saying now that encouragingly all the five cases reported um, since April 23, four of them have actually gone home and gone back to work, basically, which is great. But are there other places for, for the, our listeners out there that can go to to read about the aspects of the rollout? Is there a website, particular different websites, government websites that they can go to? Yeah, there's always there's, there's the australian.gov.au uh, government website that has all of the information. Right. Um, you know, the general main media newspapers are reporting everything, um, you could say, they're kind of over-reporting because we can't yeah. hear every single, you know, side effect or potential side effect. But, um, you know, I think that there is generally very responsible reporting by the media. And I think, again, we should be very proud of our Australian media that, that it is, you know, putting its shoulder behind the wheel. It's not trying to force people one way or the other. It's saying, here's information. It's up to you to, to decide. Right, Okay. So Australians have the choice whether to get vaccinated or not. And uh, with that, uh, you're not foreseeing down the future that the state governments might sort of take a different tack. Let's just say, for example, a corporation says, well, you want to be an employee of our corporation, you need to have a vaccination, otherwise you can't be employed. Do you think that's going to happen? Well, I think that um, that might be difficult for um, you know our legislation, our laws. I think that um, you know could come into contest. As I said, I think there are some situations where it should be mandated. So I'm someone who supports, particularly in the aged care sector, yeah. because I, I don't think anyone's got like an argument. Yeah, I, I think yeah, for frontline right. people, yeah, I think absolutely. that's it's a you, yeah. you don't have a choice. I mean, yeah. if that's the job you're going well, to be doing. Well, there's a one doing. in ten death rate as well for yeah. those who get COVID, so it's a pretty high risk. Mm. See, I'm very interested in us thinking about this all slightly differently. Um, in my view, every year we have a flu season and every year um, the high-risk people in the community are, are targeted um, to get flu vaccines. Anyone can get a flu vaccine, but we make it free for those who are older and younger mm -hmm. um, and those who have immune problems. And we do that because we don't want people who are at risk of dying to get the flu. Right. But in fact, all of us are at risk of dying. It's of just course. a very low risk. Yes. Very low risk, but it's still everyone has a risk of dying. Now we want—I want us to be able to think about COVID 
um, and the use of the vaccine as moving it from being a deadly disease where one in 10 people over the age of 70 who have COVID die to making it a very rare side effect right, <laughs> of yes. having COVID. We you know, a rare outcome of a side effect, that's a vaccine thing. But if you get COVID and you've got a one, let's just say you get COVID and you have a one in 100,000 chance of dying if you get COVID. Well, we won't be shutting down borders. We won't be shutting down um you know, businesses will be thinking about it very differently. Yeah. So if the vaccine can make COVID not go away or eliminate it, but be a safer thing to get, not as deadly, then it's a whole different equation. And that's what I think we need to be thinking about, yes. turning COVID from a serious deadly disease into a nuisance disease. Yeah. Well, I suppose it comes down to, you know, we're helping others eventually helps us, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, you know, like, really, I mean, we all get the vaccination, then the chances are that, that hopefully eventually... We'll just, but it, like, I think it comes back to the, the thing called choice and, and the freedom yeah. to choose, and that's what I'm yeah, sort of really, getting I, at more I, than anything. I, I don't I go really this like way or the it. other way, but I'd like to have the freedom to choose without any ramifications in the future from someone saying, well, you know, I don't agree with you, so therefore you can't do this. That's yeah. where my problem lies. Well, also drives yeah. a very bad behaviour from people. People are oh, telling me I have to do something. I'm not so sure about that. Australians are very good at saying, you know, bugger off. Very good at it. Very good at it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, 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 Katie, it's been absolutely fantastic. Katie Allen, MP, uh, thank you very much for taking your time out today to, to speak to us. It's been thank really, really Katie. enlightening. Yes. And we sincerely appreciate it. And uh, and, and I know you, you're, you're going to be very busy with the budget coming up and so on. Yes, um, no, yes. no. Any, any uh, secret... Uh, releases you want to put on our radio station? Well, I think uh, I was asking the Prime Minister whether we could help Ken and Dean get onto a, a cruise. Oh, well, that's a fantastic idea. <laughs> that, that'd be great. That's uh, a fantastic uh, idea. <laughs> and, 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 and by the way, uh, what's the chance of maybe a, an extra special tax cut coming to us? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> indeed. Exactly. No, Look, indeed. I, I'm very happy as, as the member Higgins. I'm very happy with some of the announcements that have been made early. I'm very, very pleased that we're going to have yeah. more funding. That's fantastic. Care yep, that's and, great. And childcare. So there's some really good things coming out of the budget and I'm looking forward to seeing the whole thing tomorrow. Magnificent. Well, thank you very much, Katie. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Lovely to chat. Thank you. Bay FM 100.3. This is Searchlight Conversations with Dean and Ken. Bay FM 100.3, live and local across the Bayside and beyond. Searchlight Conversations tonight, the COVID conundrum, and we have had one exciting, exciting conversation. Yeah, great guests, yeah. many different views. A lot of facts. Yes. A lot of questions too to be answered later on maybe. And, and thank you so much for everyone who participated via SMS. That oh. was just extraordinary. It oh, was mate, so great. good. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I think, I think there's a, a lot of questions out there from a lot of people. Yeah, we had a lot of questions on the SMS come through that I don't think any of the panellists had the qualification to answer, but very valid and very interesting questions, which I'm going to store. Because I think we'd like to revisit this in a few months' time. Yeah. And let's get those questions answered. Yeah, great idea. I think so. I think it's definitely worth a part By two. the people. Yeah, absolutely. By the people who can actually answer them in a, a responsible way, which would be fantastic. So we've had uh, Dr. Kirsty Short just chit-chatting with us then. Before that, Dr. Elwin Gabatero. And we also had Katie Allen and Simone Sleep. Yep. What a busy night it's been. A good cross-section. Good cross-section. I think that's been a really worthwhile conversation tonight. Uh, again, tonight's conversation will be podcast on the Bay FM website, bayfm.org.au, and I'll do my utmost best to get it up there before midday tomorrow, and I'm going to try and get it tonight, but if things get ahead of me, it will be done by midnight, uh, by midday tomorrow, bayfm.org.au. If you go to the podcast section, you'll see it there under Searchlight Conversations. Next month, Dean. A good one. It's a riveting mm -hmm. conversation It's all over month. the news lately. Yep. 
we're going to revisit the China syndrome. We've done part one and part two. The interesting thing, when we spoke about part one and part two with China syndrome, a lot of the things that our guests suggested then have actually come to pass. That's right. They're happening. It's happening. So we're going to invite those guests in again and a few others to continue that conversation because what's happening in the world, particularly between Australia and China at the moment, is something we need to be well-versed on. A trading partner? Absolutely. Mm. When it comes to iron ore, at least. That's right, yeah. (laughs) Not anything else anymore. Not much else. (laughs) Iron ore, definitely. (laughs) We'll need that. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's going to be a very interesting conversation next time around. And uh, until then, thank you very much for joining us with the conversation tonight. Bay FM 100.3, live and local across the Bayside and beyond. Thank you so much, Dean. Thank you, Ken. And And thank you to all our guests. And our guests particularly. And we couldn't do it without them, obviously. That's just the way it is. So we thank them very, very much. They all come in free. They all come in with their uh, good intentions to get information out that everybody, everybody needs. Mm. So until next time, good night. That's it. Bay FM 100.3. This is Searchlight Conversations with Dean and Ken.